the Lord Jesus Christ. Who matters above all, right? He matters above all. Amen? Jesus Christ matters above all. Nobody else is even close. Nothing is even close to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Right? He matters. At the end of the day, nothing else is on the radar if He's on the radar. He alone matters. And of course, as you grow close to Him, then you know how to truly be a husband and a wife. Then you know truly how to be a father or a mother. Then you know truly how to be a, a, a good employee, a good neighbor, a good friend, a member of the body of Christ as you submit to His authority. So you know how it is. At least those of you who have lived a number of years, it only takes about one second for your life to radically change. And if you've lived as many years as I have, you know sadly how true that is. And some of the older folks in this room know exactly what that means. In early 2008, Karen found a lump in her breast and the preliminary diagnosis was was good. Uh, It was good news. It was benign. So they sent us home and we were glad. Uh, A few months later, Karen realized that the lump was getting larger much faster. So back to the doctor. And the doctor agreed we'd need to take it out as soon as possible. So he scheduled the surgery. And we took it out. He had not yet speculated as to whether it was benign or cancerous, but he removed the lump. And I'm sitting in the waiting room, right? (laughs) Under the impression that it's benign. Because that was the last word we had gotten. Well, he comes walking out of the OR. He comes walking toward me. And I could tell... Some of you have been in this place. I could tell by his face that it wasn't good news. He said that the lump was indeed cancerous and that chemotherapy and radiation would begin very soon, as soon as they could schedule her. I remember the first day of her chemo. It was June 26, 2008. I uh, strategically placed a CD in, in the CD player in the car because, and I've shared some of this, I've shared this story with you once before. Some of you will remember this story. But I put a CD in the car because I wanted her to hear this specific song on the way to chemo, right? And I love these words. It's one of my favorite songs. It's an old one by Michael W. Smith. He's an American uh, composer and musician. The song is called I Know Your Name, again by Michael W. Smith. The song opens with a believer confessing his need, his hurt, his pain, and his fear. And the chorus rises, and the chorus is God's answer to His child, right? God sings to His own. Yes, He says, I know your name. Amen? Every prayer you've prayed. I'm the one who has brought you to this place. And I wanted Karen to hear it. I know I, She knew it. We had already talked about it. We had already prayed about it. She knew she was on her way to chemo. 
Because God was doing something. And I know some of you may not yet have a huge God in your mind like that, who is sovereign in every detail of your life. But it's biblical truth, beloved. It's biblical truth. I am the one, God says, who's brought you to this place. I'm the voice who sings to you. I'm the hand that clings to you. It's going to get hard. It is hard. We've got cancer. It's particularly hard for Karen. But God says, I am holding you. I am going to sing to you throughout this ordeal. I will not let you go. Some of you who have been through a trial with King Jesus know just how true this is. Just how true this is. The chorus ends, Oh my child, God is singing. I have always known your name. Never fear. I am here. I love this song. There's so much truth here, right? There's just so much truth, biblical truth, in this chorus. Uh, chorus. God knows us. Not simply in the sense that He's conscious of us. He knows us in the sense that He has loved us from an eternity past. Right? What did He tell Jeremiah? I knew you in the womb. He knew us before the womb. He's the one that thought us up. It's the only reason you exist. He thought you up. He loves us in an almighty and infinite way. He knows every prayer we've prayed. He's not simply aware of our prayers. He's invested in them. Right? He's invested in them to bring our perfect good about for all eternity. Amen? This is not some brain-dead, heart-dead ritual. We're talking to the living God who hears and who answers. He brings us to every trial. Now, I know this is hard for some of you. Some of you have been taught the exact opposite. God brings His people to the trial. Just read your Bible. God brings His people to the trial. The cancer was not bad luck. The cancer was drawing Karen and I deeper to the Lord. We would know Him in a brand new way than we had ever known Him before. God is the beautiful One who is putting music in our souls as I referenced earlier from the Scripture, from the Spirit of God, from creation, from the many subordinate pleasures He gives us in the world. He is the Almighty Sovereign King of heaven and earth who clings to us. He knows our names. And I'm going to say it again. Meaning from the far side of eternity, He's known His people. He's loved His people. He's known about Karen's cancer. From the far side of eternity, He's known all about it. And He's planned to work good in it. Right? Good in her life. The necessary good. The indispensable good. The essential good that only God can work in Alive. Fear, of course, is the normal reflex when somebody uses the C word. But I can give testimony 
I watched my wa- wife walk through it. Um, it was easy for me, right? In one sense. It wasn't easy for me in another sense. But she was the one walking through it. And I watched her fall on God. She just fell on God. And she communed with God. And she trusted Him. She's one of those Christians, and some of you know what I mean. She's one of those Christians that actually believes Romans 8.28, right? She actually believes Romans 8.28. What is Romans 8.28? Someone tell me. You have to know this. Amen. Amen. God is at work in His people's lives. He's never not at work. If you doubt that He's at work, then you haven't understood who He is. He's always at work in the lives of His people. My beautiful wife did what my favorite preacher in America says to do. He struggled with cancer for a time. He says, don't waste it. Don't waste the cancer. What is John Piper saying? He says, draw deep to God. Draw deep to God. Draw near to God. Be changed by God. Look at God. Don't look at the cancer. Look at God. Be changed. Beloved, this is true for every trial in your life. You're not supposed to look at it. You're supposed to look through it. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to look through it. It's what we're seeing here in Psalm 13. David's in despair. Well, he begins to pray. Oh, guess what happens? (laughs) What what happens in the last two verses? He begins to worship. That's what the trial is for the believer. Deep worship. You remember Job, right? You remember what happened when he got the worst possible news he could possibly get? All of his children in one day were lost? What did Job do? Someone tell me. We know he struggled. But what happened at the end of the struggle? Who came to Job? God. God came to Job. One of my favorite people in the history of the church, George Mueller, 19th century English pastor. I'll never forget. I was in the middle of a trial about 25 years ago. And I'm sitting in my car and I read this. And I learned how to pray. He said, don't ask for the deliverance. Don't ask for the deliverance until you get the revelation. You understand what he's saying? Certainly it's okay to pray for the deliverance, but what you you and I really need is the revelation from God. That's really what the trial is all about. God's doing a billion things all at once. Don't ask for the deliverance until you get the revelation. I'm going to quote John Piper again. I get in trouble for quoting John Piper sometimes. People leave the church because I quote John Piper. It's happened. Trust me. It's hard to believe. But it has happened. He says James 1-2 is not stupid. Well, of course, we know it's not stupid. It's in the Bible. But he says it's not stupid. Why is it not stupid? What does it say? Consider it joy, 
He's talking to the Christian here. Consider it joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why is that not stupid? Because God's coming to us, beloved. God's coming to us. That's why it's not stupid. Because our God is God. Our God takes a horrible thing and He makes it into something for our good. If you doubt that God does that, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most terrible, horrifying thing that has ever happened in the cosmos. And what did God do through it? Through the travail of Christ, what did God do? He saved me. And if you're a Christian tonight, He saved you. God works this way. You say, Jim, I don't like the way God works. Well, I'm sorry. He's God. You're not. He runs the universe the way He sees fit. And I just want to caution that we all have some humility about that. If the trial is here, God is here. And you know the 23rd Psalm. We all love the 23rd Psalm. I haven't preached it since January. I may have to preach it again. I'm going to preach it. Well, if I don't preach it between now and January, I'm going to preach it in January. I need the 23rd Psalm every year. I need it. But David says in the 23rd Psalm, I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Why is that true for David? Why is it true? Because God is with me. Is what he says. Exactly, Bertha. Check out with Bertha. She knows this one. Alright? Bertha's down with the 23rd Psalm. He says, I fear no evil. You are with me. Amen? You are with me. Beloved, we have this beautiful, beautiful God. We have this beautiful God. And I love Eugene Peterson. I'm going to get into the text. But I love Eugene Peterson. It's a very short psalm, so don't worry. I'll get finished. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of 23.6, Psalm 23.6. I love this. This is what I don't want you to ever forget. He says, God's beauty and love chase after me every day. You know, if you believe that when you wake up in the morning, <laughs> you can deal with a lot, right? You can deal with the doctor using the C word. You can deal with the chemo and the radiation. You can deal with the uncertainty of, you know, we have to go back. Now she's graduated. We only go back every year. Now we, we had to go back every six months. And every, every six months you think, you know, you're, you're looking at God. Because you don't know what's going to come out of that doctor's mouth, right? So this thing lasts for years and years and years, right? And uh, but praise God now, she only has to go back once a year. And she continues to be cancer-free. You may remember Psalm 42. Uh, we preached it, I think, uh, back in May. Sometimes, you guys know this if you've been a Christian very long, sometimes we're on top of things, spiritually speaking. 
in Psalm 13, David's not on top of it. David is about to drown in his trial and in his difficulty. Sometimes you're, on, you're spiritually on top of your circumstances and sometimes you're not. Sometimes, as Psalm 42 says, your soul is in despair. You say, well, Jim, I thought Christianity was health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, <clears throat> if you're going to read the Bible with any integrity, you understand the Bible is not promising temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. It pro- promises eternal health, wealth, and prosperity. Christians suffer. Just read the Bible! They suffer. They suffer all the time. Probably the greatest Christian on the, the pages of the New Testament, well, it has to be Paul. Go read his life. Go read how he suffered for the cause of Christ. And the more you love him, the more you stand for him, the more you'll suffer. It's just biblical truth. You say, Jim, I don't want to hear that. Well, you shouldn't come to ICM. Because you're going to hear what the Bible says here. That's what we do here. You know, I'm not going to please men. I'm not going to tickle ears. Life's too short for me. I have to stand before God and give an account. And life's too short for you to have some false view of God in your mind and in your head. Psalm 42.5, David says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? What does, he, what does he say? Anybody remember? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And he goes on and he says, Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, right? Hope in God on the way to chemo. Hope in God. Look at God. And I'm using cancer as a metaphor for every trial you experience, right? Just, put, just plug in your trial. Plug in the name of your trial. I don't I could stand here until I fell over naming various trials we all go through but just plug in the one you're in right now Hope in God Hope in a sovereign God who does all his pleasure in heaven and earth Hope in him First one Psalm 13 How long O Lord Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is not on top of his circumstances in a spiritual sense. He feels abandoned. He feels alone. And he feels increasingly desperate. He feels like God has forgotten him. Some of you know, if you've been a Christian any number of years, that feeling. But I always like to tell people I talk with, Christianity is never only a feeling, right? It's not just only a feeling. If you're born again, yeah, you'll feel it. (laughs) You'll feel it. Everything's changed. You'll feel it for sure. But it's never only just a feeling. Sometimes when you don't feel it, Christianity is believing it anyway, right? It's holding fast to who God is. It's holding to the promises of God even when I can't cry 
anymore. I believe. I don't feel anything right now except despair. But I believe and I'll hope in my God. This is where David finds himself. And I ask you this all the time. I wrote a book about it. It changed my life. Hebrews 11.6 How does a man or woman please God? What does Hebrews 11.6 say? How do you please God? By faith! Of course He's always going to bring you to a place you can't fully grasp or understand. Of course He's going to bring you to a place that sometimes all you have left to do is hope in a God who's made a promise to you. Do you know what? Do you know how delighted God is when you come to that place and you can't understand anything anymore and you hurt so bad? And like I said, you've cried your last tear and you fall on Him. Do you know how He delights in that? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you have real faith? Or is it theoretical and academic? The kind of faith that God's talking about in Hebrews 11.6, do you have that kind of faith? The kind of faith that believes God is a rewarder even though you cannot imagine any reward right now that could compensate for the pain that you feel. Do you believe God when you can't feel God? Do you hold fast to the promises of God when all you can see is darkness? This is what God's talking about. <laughs> Hebrews 11.6 So, has God really forgotten David? Had God forgotten Karen and me? Has God forgotten you? Are you in the midst of a hard thing? Has God forgotten you? There's so many places I could go in the Bible on this, but I will. One quick Old Testament verse and one New Testament verse. Isaiah 54.10 For the mountains may be removed. The psalmist, pardon me, the, 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 the prophet is saying the, the mountains may be removed. The earth may be erased. But he goes on, but God's loving kindness will not be removed from you. Amen? It cannot happen. You say, Jim, I don't feel it right now. That's not the point. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Beloved, if you believe it, you can walk through anything and bring glory to Christ. Which ultimately is our purpose for being here. To bring glory to Jesus Christ. The, the New Testament verse, Hebrews 13.5, For God Himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I looked up the word never. What does never mean? You're right. It means never. It means, but I looked it up, it means not ever. It means on no occasion. It means not at all. It means in no way will God ever forsake His people. In the second phrase here, verse 1, David asks God, how long will you hide your face from me? What is David saying here? We know who hides in Scripture, right? 
Is God the one that hides in Scripture? I tell you this a lot because I always want you to have a... You know, you can't get a biblical view of God if you don't have a biblical view of man. But who's hiding from whom in the Scripture? Is God hiding? Or are we hiding? What happened? We're only three chapters into the Bible. Adam and Eve rebel. They hear the sound of God walking in uh, the cool of the day in the garden. What do they do? They run to meet God, right? No, that's not exactly what happened. They hid. So if we know our Bibles, we understand the being who hides in this relationship is mankind. But Jesus said this, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Amen? Luke 19. 10. So what is David saying when he talks about God hiding His face from him? It's an Old Testament refrain. It, you'll see it ten times in the Psalms. You'll see it two times in the book of Job. It's the way of saying that the individual involved, they, they cannot sense or perceive the presence of God in their life. They can't sense the outward present presence, the visible, apparent, external, obvious, material presence of God in their life. Something's gone wrong in their life and they're not perceiving God in their life. That's what David is, in fact, saying. David's in a hard spot. He's in a difficult place. Likely in a life and death situation with his enemies. So here's an important question. For you and for me. Why isn't God doing what God, pardon me, why isn't God doing what David thinks God ought to do? Why isn't God doing what David thinks God ought to do? Some of you wonder that yourselves, I bet. Why isn't God doing what I think God ought to do in my circumstance? Well, the biblical answer, the, the, the answer that the believer has is he's doing something bigger. Right? Why isn't God doing what I think God should do? Because he's doing something bigger than what you think he should do. Lord, why does my wife have cancer? You know, God doesn't answer those kinds of questions. <laughs> but He says, Jim, trust me that I'm doing a huge thing here. We have some dear friends in the States. Uh, he's a pastor. Went to seminary with him. Uh, they have been brutally attacked recently. Uh, legally. They've become entangled with some in a difficult situation. I'm not going to give you the details. But they are way past their ability to understand why this has come on them and why this is so hard. Right? They only have one thing left, and it's God. And I'm happy to report that they are holding on to God. I, I've shared this with you before, but I love it. It makes sense to me. It's meaningful to me. When I was going through a difficult time some years ago, my spiritual mentor, he said, Jim, he said the most beautiful thing. I've never forgotten it. I was sharing it with my friends in the States. He said, Jim, God is giving you a story. 
you know, the kind of story that we'll sit around in heaven and talk about? That time God did that through me? Right? Beloved, when it's hard, He's giving you a story. He's giving you a witness. You know, when the hard thing comes, you're on stage, everybody watches. Do, do they really believe or not? Is this, is this Christianity thing? Is it just, you know, is it just a game? Is it just facade? Or do they really believe God? When it gets hard, do they really hold on to God? Listen, God's giving you a story that you'll proclaim on the earth and forever in heaven. Now let's look at verse 2. And then I want to give you an illustration that I think will help um, illustrate verses 1 and 2 for us. Verse 2, How long shall... I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day long. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So we start to understand what's at issue here. What's at issue? It's not really that God has forgotten him. It's not really that God has turned his face away from him, which is a euphemism, a Hebrew euphemism. What's, what's the deal? How many times did, did David say it? How long, Lord? How long? How long? How long? Four times. What's the deal? David's just tired. David is impatient with God. I bet you never have been. Oh, maybe some of you have. I think we're all guilty at times. David is impatient. Lord, how long will you let this go on? That is the real issue. And I'm just going to give you a brief illustration. New Testament illustration that all of you will be familiar with, I'm sure. Um, we talked about this about 18 months ago, but I'm not sure uh, that it can hardly be said too much. Mark 14, pardon me, Mark 6, Matthew 14, and John 6. You know the story. Jesus fed the 5,000 men, most likely 10 to 15,000 people total. Jesus did the miracle and then He put His men in the boat and He sent them on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He sent the multitude away and then He went up on the mountain to pray. So you remember what happens to the disciples that night. Who knows? What happens? Jesus sends them across the sea. What happens? There's a storm. This raises two questions. Why does Jesus send them into the storm? Oh, maybe He doesn't know there's going to be a storm. How many of you think that's the right answer? Oh, maybe He's doing something brand new in their life. Something huge. Maybe He's going to reveal His deity to them in a brand new way. Maybe that's it. What do you think? I got more good facial feedback on that than I did on the first. The second question I have is, what is Jesus praying about? Well, I can only speculate here. But if I take my cue from Scripture, John 17, Romans 8, Luke 22, etc., etc., Jesus is most often seen praying for His people. And I think He's praying for His men. They're in a storm. He's praying for him. You know that beautiful text in uh, Romans 8, 
two members of the Trinity are praying for you right now. Right? The Holy Spirit is interceding as is the Son for the true believer. So, this, this, this account, it's in three Gospels. John tells us that the, the, sea, the, the sea was stirred up because of the strong wind. Mark tells us that the disciples were straining at the oars and the wind was against them. Matthew tells us that the boat was battered by the waves for the wind was contrary. So Jesus came to them in the fourth watch. Presumably these men have been fighting in this storm for five to ten hours. We have no idea uh, for sure. But they've been at this for a long time time no doubt exhausted and they likely feared for their lives it's the same situation David is in in Psalm 13 so Jesus is on the mountain the disciples are halfway across the Sea of Galilee Mark 648 says seeing them straining he came to them walking on the sea now how does he see them he's on the mountain there's a storm. There's no moon. It's pitch black. How does He see them? He's God. He sees everything. You think He doesn't see you in your trial? You think He's forgotten about you? You think He's hiding His face? Wrong. God sees His men. And He just walks on the water. He's coming to... His men. And I want to say this to you. It may be new to some of you. <clears throat> he not only sent them into the storm, He designed it for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He designed the storm for them so He could show them something new about Himself. This is really not rocket science. It's not rocket science. Jim, why, I'm in, why am I in this trial? God is about to show you something new about Himself. The disciples were afraid. They thought Jesus was a ghost. Verse 27 of Matthew 14, Jesus says, Take courage, I am. That's what the literal says. Take courage, I am. He's saying, I'm God. Take courage. I'm God. Don't be afraid that Greek phrase there that's translated take courage. It appears eight times in the New Testament. Every time it's coming from the mouth of Jesus. It's what He expects from you in the trial. Take courage. Hope in Me. I'm a true God. I'm a living God. I'm a faithful God. I am coming to you. I am going to disclose Myself to you in a brand new way. It's what the trial is all about. Beloved, it's what the trial is. So, back to... Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. God hasn't forgotten you. I want to say this. God hasn't hidden His face from you. God won't let you alone in your turmoil and sorrow. And God will not allow the enemy to get the victory. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have overcome him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. We see despair. Then what do we see? We see prayer, right? Isn't that how it works in your life? Or do you just worry about it all the time? Do you pray about it or do you just worry about it? 
and worry everyone around you about it. <laughs> it's what we're prone to, isn't it? Enlighten my eyes, David says. Give me the eyes of faith. This is what he's saying. Give me the eyes of faith that I may see through this trial with eyes of faith. David is asking God's help in prayer to look through the despair. And David prays for deliverance. So, from the cry of despair, verses 1 and 2, the prayer, verses 3 and 4, we arrive at the joy-filled worship, verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. From despair to trust, from despondency to rejoicing, from depression to singing. Amen? This is what happens when you look at God. You say, Jim, I've been looking at God for a long time and it still hasn't happened for me. I'm not feeling it yet. How long did it take for Joseph? Someone tell me, 13 years. How long did it take for Abraham? 25 years. How long was it for Moses? 40 years. Time is nothing to God. Time is nothing. I love Psalm 13. It's what you and I are supposed to do when it gets hard. It's what you and I are supposed to do. So I, that day on the way to chemo, I wanted to remind Karen through Michael W. Smith's chorus that her God had brought her to this place and that He would continue to sing to her and cling to her through the cancer You and I are not supposed to be surprised when hard stuff comes. We're supposed to be ready. This is a thing I hope you never forget. You're supposed to be ready. If you call yourself a Christian, if you're a biblically literate Christian, you're supposed to be ready. I'm not saying you're not going to cry and you're not going to hurt. I'm not saying that. That you're going to grieve. I'm saying you're ready to simply fall on Jesus. You know, Facebook, uh, I don't recommend it. Um, it's fun sometimes. I, I, I get to catch up with my grandkids, and um, um, I have about 15 pastors on, on my Facebook, and they're always posting cool stuff, and one of them posted this, and I'm going to share it with you, and I'm done, okay? Um, plus, I get to keep up with my congregation. Uh, that's a good thing, too. Um, but he was talking about he was quoting a story about Malachi 3.3 here's what Malachi 3.3 says God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver a refiner has to sit the refiner of silver he has to sit and he has to watch the silver in the fire he has to watch it God hasn't forgotten about you. He's watching you. God hasn't turned His face away from you. He's watching you. He's watching you in the fire. 
The refiner can't walk away from the fire. Because if he leaves it in the fire too long, he leaves the silver in the fire too long, it's ruined. So he has to stay on top of the silver. He has to watch it. And you know how he knows that it's ready? You know how he knows that it's time to pull the silver out of the fire? Do you know how he knows? Some of you, some of you know. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor. When he sees his image in the silver. And who are you supposed to be? Tell me. You're the image of Christ in the world. Right? Beloved, God's not doing what you think He ought to do because He's doing something far more important. He's doing something infinitely more important in your life than you can ever begin to imagine right now. So I want, you to, I want to exhort you to hope in God. And if you find yourself in despair like David, cry out to God in prayer. And we see how David ends. He ends up in worship, beloved. That's, that's what it's all about, right? That's where, we, that's where we end up. I'm going to close with a, a verse we covered um, Wednesday night in Young Adult Bible Study. It just kind of sums it all up. Isaiah 43, 1-3, and I'm done. God says, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are Mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. Amen? Let every Christian in this room say Amen in their heart. He is a faithful God. He is a good God. He's doing something infinitely larger in your life than you can begin to imagine, beloved. Rejoice and give thanks. Rejoice and give thanks. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, it's... It's beautiful. It's beautiful. On our worst day, you're right in the middle of our life. On our worst day, you are doing something that is infinitely beyond our own understanding. So Lord God, we hope in You. We believe it even if we can't feel it, even if we don't see it, we believe it. We believe that You are. We believe You're a rewarder. We believe You are a sovereign God who works all things after the counsel of His will for the good and joy of His people. We believe. Help us, Father, make much of Jesus in the trial for the world is watching. Help us make much of Jesus.
And Lord, help us to see You more clearly. Help us to love You more. We love You, Lord. We love You and we praise You. Thank You that You are bringing us home. Thank You, Lord, that we will be with You soon. Thank You, Lord, that nothing can separate us from Your omnipotent love. We praise You, Lord Jesus. It's in Your mighty name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and I'll dismiss us with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope to see you next week.